Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? You awake? Hopefully you're awake and you're ready to worship not only in song and in prayer, but also through the Word of God that we may open up our hearts this morning and say, God, speak to us. Hopefully if that's how you come in the morning. God, speak to us. And may your way, way be done in my heart my mind. And may we yield our hearts and minds to him and say yes to him in all things and obey him. Uh, we're going to continue on our series, I Didn't Know. And this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about prayer. That I didn't know we should pray even though God knows all. I don't know if you, you knew that we should pray. You probably have heard of that. Well, let me ask you a question. Does God move when people pray? I know, I know he does in the Bible. I know, and I'm talking about in the Bible when people prayed. But is he moving the lives of people when they really do pray? That's good. You say, does God answer prayers? Does he answer the prayers of his people when they call out to him, when they ask for help, when they need restored, when they need reconciliation, when they need his healing and his blessing? Does God answer prayers? And many of you are saying yes. And the simple straight answer is yes, absolutely. I believe that God answers prayers. But let me ask you this then why is it so difficult at times to pray? If we truly believe that God answers prayer, why do we struggle in our lives to pray? Why do we struggle? Why do we have a hard time getting before God? If we believe he's going to answer our prayers and he answers prayers, why do we struggle? I can imagine there are a lot of reasons that we struggle to come before God and pray, but one of the main ones is probably because of the busyness of life. Oftentimes, the busyness of our lives can choke out our walk with God, can it? Can choke it out. And as a result, our walk is, walk is not right with God. We need to spend time in our relationship with God. It's like if you're married or if you have been married, you say, boy, my, my marriage to my spouse or my husband or wife is going great, but boy, I haven't talked to him in three weeks. I haven't talked to him in six weeks. What does that say? You probably don't have a good marriage, do you? And sometimes we say, boy, I have a great walk with God, but I haven't talked to him in prayer in three weeks or six weeks or nine weeks or spend any time with him. See, it's easy to, to lose track in the busyness of life with, with our life. Busy with work, we become so busy with work. Busy with spouse and children. Busy with uh, working around the house. And busy with all those things with family. Celebrating birthdays and the holidays and planning vacations and the hobbies that we have. It's so be easy to be so busy in our lives. Really easy. Tell me, I, I know. And it's easy to get in those seasons of busyness that they're drowning out our walk with God. So all of a sudden, we don't have time to go to church. We don't have time to read our Bibles. We don't have time to pray. We don't even have time to serve you, God. I don't have time to serve you. And if we're not careful, you can let the busyness of life kind of drown out our walk with God. And we need to make God a priority. Our relationship with God has to be a priority, a top priority, because if it's not becomes easily drowned out by the things that we think are important. That seems to us are important at the time. Oh, I got to get this done. And they're becoming more important than God, uh, God is in our lives. See, God wants us to be people of prayer. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God is a very relational God. He's very relational. That he's always been in a relationship. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they've always been in a relationship. And he created us for relationship. And he wants us to be in relationship with us. So he wants us to be people of prayer, that we might pray. And the question for us is, why do we need to pray, make prayer a priority in our life? You may be saying that. Why do I need to be praying? If God's going to answer anyway, does what he wants. Well, I have three reasons in James chapter 5 to make prayer a priority. And the first one, pray because God commands it. And that should be all we need, right? God commands that we pray. 
And James writes in James 5.13, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Here James is talking about two sets of people. First, he's talking about those who are in trouble and suffering. He's not talking about any particular type of trouble or suffering. And there are trouble and suffering that brings uh, kind of, uh, kind of uh, bring things up on ourselves, brings trouble and suffering, things that we do in our lives. He's not talking about those things that we do to bring trouble and suffering in our lives. But the suffering that James is talking about, the things that believers in Christ go through, through the darkness and the stress of times in our life, through those trials and difficulties that we come, and sometimes it's through the sickness and health things that we go through. Sometimes it's through finances. Sometimes it's through persecution. Sometimes it's just because of life, because we live in a broken world, and every time we turn around, something else happens because we live in a broken world, and it's just this life. And during those times, it's so easy for us to forget about God. In, in the Old Testament, we find that the children of Israel did that. They did that. Uh, God moved in their lives in a mighty way. He brought them out of the bondage of Egypt with the, with the ten plagues. And they're in the desert, and God parts the Red Sea, and he does all kinds of miracles. And they saw God move in mighty ways. But what did they start doing? They start grumbling and complaining. They're grumbling about the food they have to eat, the, the water, and they're grumbling about the trials that they're going through. And all of a sudden, they stop looking vertically toward God, and they start looking horizontally at all their problems. And we do that many times. As soon as something comes in our life, we want to focus on the problem. If we focus long enough horizontally, we're going to find problems because there's problems all around us because we live in a broken world, right? The people around us are broken. We're broken. So everything's broken. So if we look long enough horizontally, we're always going to find problems. And that's what James is saying. James says, if you're in trouble, if you're going through difficulty, the solution to your trouble is prayer. Look to God is what he's saying. And that's what Jesus did when he was in time of trouble, wasn't he, in anxiety, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's suffering, and he's in anguish. He's, he's facing the cross. And what is he doing there, during that time? He's praying. He's giving it to God. We say uh, David did that throughout the Psalms. Enemies are upon him. And Psalm after Psalm, David is going to the Lord in prayer. We see the prophets in the Old Testament constantly went to God in prayer. And in our times of trouble, God wants us to be people who depend upon him. And don't, don't depend on ourselves. We depend upon him. We pray to him, and we give all of our troubles and our suffering, everything that we're going through to him is what he says. On the other side of that, James acknowledges there, there's not everyone is suffering through trouble and having all kinds of pain. But some people are rejoicing. Some people are cheerful and happy. And some of you came in this morning, and you're probably cheerful and happy and rejoicing because of your marriage, maybe because of your children, or maybe because... Uh, you got a new job, or, or you found a job, or maybe because you're a home, whatever it is in your home, maybe you found a new home, or whatever it may be, but you're rejoicing. God's answered prayers. Maybe the medical test came back, and everything was all right, and you feel God's blessing, so you're rejoicing. But why does James say here that in the midst of rejoicing, in the midst of God's blessing, in the midst of other, we, we need to remember God. We need to praise God. Because it's easy in those times of blessing forget the giver of all good things, right? It's easy for us to do that. When things are going so great and everything looks great, boy, look what's happening in my life. It's forget all about God. Many times we do that, don't we? That's something that John Piper wrote about in his book, A Hunger for God. Listen to what he says. It's a long quote, but listen to what he says. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, 
but the prime time dribble of the trivial we drink in every night. For all the evil that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from his banquet table of love or prayer, it's a piece of land, it's a yoke of oxen or a relationship. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, he says, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. That's a very powerful statement, but if you think about it, it's true. Oftentimes in the midst of our trouble, oftentimes in the midst of our blessings, we lose sight of God, don't we? We don't go to God in prayer. We don't come to him at all. We're trying to get through it ourselves, and we're all happy, and we forget all about God. And James is saying if you're rejoicing, give thanks to God. If you're going through troubles and trials and difficulties, go to God in prayer is what he's saying. Go to God in prayer. The reality is, is God wants us to give him everything in our life. He doesn't want us to hold anything back. He doesn't want us to compartmentalize our lives and say, this is spiritual and this is secular. The things I do at church are the spiritual, but things I do at home and at work, whoa, that's secular. God says, no, I want you to give everything to me. And that's one of the, one of the people who knew about this and learned about this was Scott Hamilton. He was a famous Olympic skater and commentator. He realized one night in the hospital, after his cancer had returned, that God wants it all. And I want you to watch this video clip of Scott Hamilton right for a second. Might take a little bit for it to come on. I didn't see past it this time. I didn't think I would survive. One point I was starting to really feel weak. And one nurse in particular, I was up at three o'clock in the morning and I just was uncomfortable. And she was, can, can I get you anything? And I, I just said, no. I go, I'm just a little scared. And she said, do you pray? I said, yes. And she said, what do you say when you pray? I go, well, I just, I just thank God for all the blessings in my life. Do you ask him for anything? No, I just, I just want him to know I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Well, who is God to you? And I said, well, I, I guess he's, he's my father. Oh, you're a father, right? Yes. If one of your children were hurting, wouldn't you want him to come to you for comfort, strength? Yes. So I change the way I pray now. Uninhibitedly, I ask. I ask to heal. I ask for strength. I ask for courage. The Bible tells us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. We have a loving heavenly father who cares about our joys, who cares about our sorrows and our pain and our sickness, and, and he cares about all the trials that we're going through. And he comes to us and he says, I love you. And he said, I want you to bring those to me and lay them at my feet and give me everything. And we think about how awesome is that, that God thinks so much about Scott Hamilton, about me, that God says, I care so much about your life, all the details of your life, Doug, that I want you to bring all your joys, all your sorrows, and all your pains, and I want you to give them 
to me because I care about you. I love you. And he doesn't only say that to me, but he says that to all of us. That God wants to know all the details. That's the God. He's not a far-off God, but he's a loving Heavenly Father. He says, I love you so much. I want to know everything about you. I don't want you to bring it all to me. I want you to reveal it all. I'll bring it all to me and cast all your cares upon me because I, I love you. And that's what we're supposed to do. That is so awesome to think that's the kind of God we have. And that's what prayer does. If you don't know where to start in your prayer life, say, boy, I, I've tried it and, it and it doesn't work, one of the greatest things to do is to take James' advice at heart. What James is saying here, he says, just offer, up one, just offer up to God one high, one low. Then we come before God and say, God, these are the things that I'm thankful. This is what I'm thankful for today. And maybe you come here and say, I'm thankful for my family, or I'm thankful for my marriage, or, or I'm thankful for my relationship with you, God, through Jesus, my salvation. I'm thankful that I can come to you and I have access to pray. Just offer up one thing you're thankful for every day, one thing you're thankful for. And the other side of that, offer one thing that you're struggling with, one thing you're dealing with. Lord, right now I'm struggling with this temptation, this sin. Right now it's my marriage. Right now it's a relationship. Right now it's loneliness. Right now it's this medical thing that's going on in my life. Finances, a job, whatever it is. God already knows about it, right? He already knows what's going on in our lives. He already understands all these things. We're just to cry out to him and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help in that circumstance, just like Scott Hamilton did. I need your help. And I guarantee if you do that, it will change your, your prayer life. It will change your walk with God. It will transform you into the person that God wants you to be. Just try that. The next days and weeks, just say, I'm going to offer up to be thankful for one thing, and here's the thing I'm struggling with. And just pray like that, that simple prayer, and watch what God does in your life. The second reason to make prayer a priority, he says, number two, pray because we have needs. We have needs. Verse 14, it says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. James said if, if someone is sick, they need to take the initiative. And that's so true. So many times people are sick and we don't even know about it. The, the church doesn't even know they're sick. They have to take the initiative. It says call the elders. It's an easy when someone gets sick or something happened in someone's life that they isolate themselves. They become isolated and no one even knows. And that's what they need, need the church the most, right? That's when they need us the most. And James is saying it's important for the elders who represent the body of the Christ, to go to them and pray over them and, and to anoint this person with oil. The anointing with oil is, is just giving the person over the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just giving them to God is what we're doing. Just, here God, here they are, they're, they're yours. And then he says in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make, make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. When it says their prayer offered in faith, what it means is a prayer of expectation and belief. When we come and we're expecting God to do something, and we believe he can, right? We don't come and doubt God. Oh, God, I don't know if you're going to answer this. I don't know if you're going to do anything. But we believe it, and we expect God to do something. And, and sometimes it says a, a, a sin, I mean, this sickness is associated with sin. And if it is, then forgiveness has to take place. But in verses in 14 and 15, there's so many implications. But one of the things we know for sure that God doesn't want us to go through these trials all alone. He doesn't want us to be by ourselves. So if you're sick that we have elders in our church that wants to pray with you. We love to pray with you. And we should and make this happen in your life. You say, boy, I've got something going on. I need prayer. We want to make that happen. And that's what James is talking about, that the elders, that the church would come around you and pray with you and pray over you and pray, pray for you. We believe in a God who heals spiritually, amen? But we believe in a God who also heals physically. But that being said, 
the elders are always conscientious about that when we're praying, praying in faith, that we leave room for God's sovereign will, don't we? We never come and demand that God does this, demand you, God, that you would heal this person or this would be done, but we always end up, God, your will be done. Does God uh, heal in miraculous ways? Of course he does, absolutely. All the time he does that. We see it time and time again. But sometimes he doesn't heal the here and now. He doesn't heal right away because he's, he has a greater purpose in mind what he's doing in and through your life. And the apostle Paul learned that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he had something in his life called the thorn in the flesh. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God uses sometimes the suffering. He used that ailment in Paul's life so that it would draw Paul closer to God and to experience God in a new and special way, that he'd learn something about God. What do you do if you have a loved one or a friend that is, that is diagnosed with something very serious or maybe even fatal? What do you do during that time? We weep and pray with them. We ask God to heal, but we trust him. We don't demand God. We trust what God's going to do. God, you're going to do what's best, and I have to trust you, whatever you're going to do through that circumstance. And we draw closer to God. That's what prayer does. It draws us closer to God and closer to each other. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you know it. It says, and in all and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We've been called according to his purpose. God doesn't say all things are good. That's not what he's saying there. All things are good. But he says, but in, uh, God works through all things to those good for all things for all those who love him. He works toward that. And God uses those opportunities in our life to draw us closer to him. So we might understand him a little bit more, to see him in ways we've never seen him, to trust him in ways we've never trusted him, to experience him in ways that we've never experienced him. And if you're going through something today, we encourage you, to, you're not alone, that we want to come alongside you, we want to pray with you, we want to pray over you. Today, if you say, well, I got something in my life and I, and I really need some prayer, I feel like I'm all alone. We want to pray with you. And that's what he's talking about here, that we always go to the Lord and we want to do this in community, not by ourselves, not in isolation, and James is emphasizing that in verse 16. He says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James is saying the Christian life is not to be done in, is to be done in community, not to be done in isolation. That we're not to isolate ourselves. That's why it's crucial that we meet together. That's why it's crucial that we meet on Sunday mornings and we're here. Because we're supposed to be here encouraging and challenging one another to walk the walk with Jesus to build each other up, growing together, praying for one another, right? Lifting each other up, making each other sharper as we're praying. See, prayer is supposed to bring us together. That's what he's saying. It brings us closer to God and closer together because for me to pray for you, I've got to know something's going on in your life. And for you to pray for me, you've got to know something's going on in my life, and we pray for each other. And it draws us closer together and draws us closer to God. That's why on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., we have the prayer partner ministry. I don't know if you know that, but at 9 a.m. I have some people that meet with me, and they pray for me before I ever get up here. They pray for the church, and they pray for the, the, uh, the ministries of the church, and they pray also for you. And I, I go in there at the beginning of it at 9 a.m., and they pray for me, and then I leave, and they continue to pray for you and the church and its ministries. And it's so important that uh, I don't feel like I'm ready till they have prayed with me. And once they pray with me, I feel like now I've yielded it to God, and now God— it's all on you. God, you've got to work it. I'm ready to preach and, and come up here and do this. But that's so important for prayer. And I would encourage you 
to join us at 9 a.m. It's that first room, as soon as you come through the doors on the right, that we fill up that room, and we're just praying, praying for each other, praying for the church, praying for the ministries, that we do that. That's also why small groups are so important, because we're called to do this life together, not in isolation. We need each other. We need to grow together and depend on one another and encourage and build each other up and pray together. When we start our small groups up next month, uh, I encourage you to be a part of one of those small groups. James says the third reason to make prayer a priority, pray because there is power in prayer. There's power in prayer. At the end of uh, James chapter 5, verse 16, the last part of 16, he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What does James mean by a righteous person? He's not talking about a perfect person here. He's talking about a person who is pursuing God's will. That's what that means. They're pursuing God's will. He also says Elijah was a man just like us. What are you saying? In other words, he had faults just like us. He's not perfect. Just like you and I, we all have faults. We're not perfect. Elijah didn't have a backstage pass, pass to God. He had access to God, just like you and I, we have access to God. So we have to ask the question, why is Elijah's prayers answered in such a powerful way? Why did God answer Elijah's prayers? I mean, not to rain for three and a half years. Why would God answer that prayer? See, I, I believe there's two reasons. The first reason is because Elijah, when God told Elijah, says, Elijah, I want you to go do X, Y, and Z. You know what Elijah did? He went out and accomplished X, Y, and Z. He obeyed God. He was obedient. Just, just look at his life. When God asked him to do something, that's what he did. He went and did it. The second reason, because I believe that Elijah prayed, he was praying according to God's word. He was praying God's word. Do you know why Elijah prayed that it would not rain? Because the people were rebelling against God. They were turning their backs on God. They were following other idols. And back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God had said this, if you disobey me, I will turn the sky to bronze, and I'm going to make the rain like dust and powder. So Elijah would just pray in God's word. God, you said that if they disobey you, you're going to stop, stop the rain. And so I'm praying that you would stop the rain. And many times, uh, the reason our prayers are not powerful and effective, because we are trying to get God to come to our agenda, our will, and our hearts, right? We need to remember, in prayer, we're not the ones supposed to be transformed and changed. It's, we're, we're the ones supposed to be transformed and changed, not God, right? And we're trying to change God and transform it. God, do my will. This is what I want done. So God, change your will according to my will. And so when we're praying, when we're seeking God, we're coming, we're seeking his will, his agenda, his heart, his word, his promises. And when we do that, it's amazing how he moves. We're coming to ask it for his will. But when we're asking for our will, my agenda, my way, my heart, it's amazing how we're, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't things happening? When we start praying according to his word, his will, his promises, his heart, we see God acts, and he does mighty things that we pray for. One of the people who knew about this was George Mueller. George Mueller was a missionary to England, and he was a German missionary, and he lived in the 1800s. And God gave him a passion for people, and he was a shepherd. And one day he was walking through the streets, and he saw all these orphans. Uh, they were homeless, they were fatherless, they were motherless, they were sick, and they were starving on the streets. So he started praying for God's provision. 
And so the Ophrens would know that they had a heavenly father who loved them. And, and, and as he prayed, God provided in amazing ways. And they say over the course of George Mueller's life that he had personally impacted 10,000 orphans. And the ripple effect of his ministries, his schools, and his orphanages, they said, uh, impacted hundreds of thousands of children. And he did it simply all through prayer, faithful prayer. That's what he did, just, just prayed. And he said God never provided for him in abundance, never did that. He said, you know how he provided for George Mueller? One day at a time, one day at a time. He trusted God. And, and through, it was all through prayer. There was one instance, there was 300 young children at the orphanage, and the caretakers are getting them ready for, to eat breakfast. And they bring them, but there's no food in the pantry. There's no money to buy food. And they bring them into this empty dining room with empty tables. And they're all looking at George Mueller and thinking, what is George going to do? And so what does George do? He says, uh, let's pray. And he began to pray, and he says, Lord, we thank you for your provisions and for your blessings. And about that time, there was a knock at the door, and the baker comes in. He says to George, George, I don't know what's going on. I couldn't sleep all night, and I, and I was up. And finally, I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I started baking bread. And I had this feeling you could use this. And as he was talking to the baker, also there's another knock at the door, and it was the milkman. And the milkman said, George, my cart broke its axle. And I don't want this milk to spoil, and I wonder if you could use it. God has a way to provide in remarkable ways. He has unlimited resources. And we serve a God who gets men up at 2 o'clock in the morning to make bread for orphans. And he uses broken axles to nourish empty stomachs. He is an amazing, amazing God. And sometimes we pray and we try to put God in the box and say, God, we want you to do it like this. And God says, do you realize I've got unlimited resources? I've, I, got, I can contact any person across the world to meet that need. And God is able to do that. He's able to meet our needs. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you came in this morning and you've got an empty table or you've got a full table. I don't know. All I know that God loves you. And as you come in here this morning, he wants you to come to him. And he wants you to come to him with all your joys, with all your, your sorrows, with all your brokenness, and to lay everything at his feet and not hold anything back. And, 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 and through this, God, only way God can do, only one that can do this is God. God takes that as we do that, and he makes this into the person that he created us to be, that he intended us to be, to be more like Jesus. And through that, all we can do is offer him our all honor and glory and praise, right, that he deserves. Because we didn't do it. All God asked us to do is to realize that we just yield our hearts and minds to him, and God does it through us. That's what the Christian life is. It's not you and I doing the work. It's God I'm going to yield to you and allow you to do it in, through, in and through me. And God does these miraculous things in and through us that we couldn't do on our own, but it's all God doing it, and we watch God as we just give him the praise, the honor, and glory. And that's what he wants to do in your life. You're in a situation in your life, say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, so I'm just going to give it to you. And that's what prayer does. Where we surrender it to God, and we throw up our hands and say, God, I don't know what to do here, and I need your help. And God works in our lives. All the things you go through in life, think about all the things you've went through. And somehow they all work themselves out, don't they? We worry about so many things. Somehow they work themselves out because God is in control, and he works them things out. And sometimes we forget all about to say, thank you, God, in prayer. But that's what prayer does. It draws us closer to God, dependent upon him, and draws us closer to each other, praying for each other. And we say, why should I pray to God when he, when he knows all and he's going to do what he wants? Because he tells us to. 
because we don't know what he's going to do. And as we're praying, it transforms and changes us into who God wants us to be. We draw closer to him as we pray. When we don't pray, when we're not talking to God, we're not communicating with God, our walk becomes distance from God. But God says, the only way you keep that close walk is by talking to me and open up the word and allow him to talk back to you, right? But God, we're supposed to talk to him. And that's what prayer does, draws us closer to him. So let's be people of prayer. Let's be people who depend upon God. Let's be people who our souls are on fire, that we come to our living hope and realize, I can't do anything without God, right? Because that's the way this life is. We can't do what God has called us to do in this church, in our own lives as Christians, without the power and strength of God in our life. And the only way we're going to have that is through prayer, yielding our hearts and minds to him. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much of your forgiveness that you give it to us all the time, all the time. Lord, we try to live this life apart from you. We try to live this life apart from prayer and reading the word of God. And Lord, we think we can just grim and bear it and go through it and say I'm a Christian just because I got that title. But that's not what the Christian life is. And Lord, help us to understand the Christian life is walking daily with you, trusting you one day at a time, praying, reading, and walking with you, and, and watch how you're working in our lives. And praying with expectation and belief, expecting you to do something amazing each and every day. And Lord, I pray that for each person here, that Lord, they just don't go through life and whatever comes, it comes. That Lord, they're actively pursuing you with their life. And every time something happens in their life, Lord, they look and they give you praise. And they give you glory and the honor that you deserve in all things. In the little things and in the big things, Lord, you just don't want the big things. You want all things. Through our rejoicing, through our sorrow, through our pain and our sickness, to bring it all to you every day, all things. And so, Lord, help us be people who seek you, our living hope, the one who gave it all for us so we can have this access to God the Father. Lord, so many times... Uh, You've given this access to us, and Lord, we don't go through its doors. We don't come to you. We don't pray. We don't ask. We think we'll just get through this on our own. Help us to be people who, Lord, we ask. That we're constantly on our knees before you. We're constantly knocking at that door with you and asking. And Lord, that we're hearing your voice back in our hearts and minds. Let us be people here at Crossroad that seeks you. As we draw closer to you, that we draw closer together. Let us be people who understand that we need each other, that we need to meet together. It's so important. And let us be people that understand that all our hope rests in you, through Jesus Christ, that we can't do anything on our own. We're not made to do it on our own. We're sheep, and you're the shepherd, and we desperately need you in our lives. So Lord, we come today, and we continue to worship you, and we want to sing about our hope that we have that's in Jesus Christ. We love you, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.